Welcome to BioTalk. My name is Jeff Meyerson, CEO and co-founder of Locust Walk, and you're listening to BioTalk, our new podcast for biotech dealmakers. This episode of BioTalk is focused on Locust Walk's 2023 first quarter market conditions report, in which we apply the latest data to analyze current activities in the life science steel landscape. Each quarter, Locust Walk Steel Team compiles key statistics and trends showcasing what is happening in the global private and public capital markets and strategic partnering and M&A activity. Our report covers key takeaways from the sector across the US, Europe, and Asia geographies for a comprehensive view of biotech dealmaking. We invite you to review our report and hope you'll find it useful in your business. To download this report, please go to locustwalk.com and go to our insights page. As always, Locust Walk is happy to speak with you further if you have any questions about our views or if we can be helpful to guide your organization through the current market environment. In the next few minutes, I will provide deal-making context, highlight events that have made a critical impact on the biotech industry, and provide our outlook for the future and our best advice on how you can survive as a biotech deal-maker. So, jumping right in. Prevailing market trends from 2022 continued into the first quarter of 2023 as the context for deal-making, which maintains, unfortunately, the correction for the frothy and capital-saturated biotech market of the COVID era. My view is that the valuation data that is publicly available does not accurately reflect the reality of the current financing landscape. Insider-led rounds are anecdotally being done at down-round valuations, and that isn't reflected in the overall data, and some insider-led rounds have artificial valuations to avoid writing down their portfolios. In contrast, outsider-led rounds have been able to command step-ups that are flat to 20% up versus the 2x they might have received in a more favorable market. These deals are taking much longer to close, with many more investors required to be called per dollar committed. The list of the 200 plus companies trading below cash on the public side speaks to the need for strategic alternatives. Many of these companies have not decided that doing a strategic deal is their best outcome, but more of them have been choosing that path than before. Some have had negative data forcing this path, but others recognize that if they enter into discussions with more cash in the bank, they will have more strategic options available to them. We have seen more public companies throwing in the towel, recognizing that they cannot finance and need to find a home for their programs. This capitulation will lead to deals later this year, and thus there will be a lag in getting the deals done. But as the year goes on, we'll see more of these deals transact. So our prediction accordingly for the year around the strategic deal making was that more small companies will either go out of business, unfortunately, or will start to merge together. We stand by that prediction and foresee an acceleration of the trend as the financing environment remains constrained and companies decide to explore their options either publicly or behind closed doors. Big companies, however, with strong balance sheets like their investor counterparts are choosing to be highly selective. This is certainly a buyer's market for both financing and strategic partnerships with supply far outstripping demand. That type of information does not show up in statistics. When pharma is choosing to transact, strategic partners are choosing to buy innovation on the cheap and mostly acquiring later stage commercial programs to fill near term pipeline and revenue gaps. Based on conversations with strategics, we see no reason for that trend to change in the near term. There have been some surprises, however, on the transaction front. On the private or early transaction side, 
buyer receptivity to full platform IP acquisition has been higher than expected versus previously just doing a platform license. More companies that want to retain U.S. rights are now open to entertaining a whole company sale. Previously, maintaining U.S. rights was the goal of a going concern, but with the difficulty of raising capital for Phase 3 development, we're seeing more companies open to M&A. Primarily, however, we are seeing generally expected market behavior. We're in an uncertain financing environment, so deals that people feel the most comfortable working on right now are those with bolt-on capabilities and those on the financing side with clinical stage assets. Strategics adding assets not only based on the short-term cost of acquisition, but closely calculating the cash necessary for post-close execution is critical. Even if you get an asset for free, the development spend might be more than a company is willing to accept. So, if you're on the sell side, one consideration is to be honest with yourself in terms of running a quick process versus understanding or expecting something that is drawn out and requires more data than originally anticipated. One thing we're not talking about is the loss of a key venture debt provider, which will also have consequences on the cost and availability of debt capital and the resulting incremental equity required to fill that gap. So, what does all this mean and what is the outlook? My view is that we are in for at least another year of this, I'm sad to say. Things will not get better until the second half of 24 and potentially even 2025. There's always the potential for an exogenous event like what happened with SVB. I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that, to be honest. I don't think the other shoe has yet fallen. But absent something that is completely unanticipated, we don't see a recovery of the market starting until the second half of 2024. The quarterly deal data and conversations that we're having with our clients at Locust Walk suggest the market at least is moving in the direction of the signals needed for market recovery. Interestingly, valuations are not down, which contradicts with what we've been hearing anecdotally. A higher bar for public and private financings has forced companies to focus on their most promising programs, which should ultimately position the surviving companies for success. Lisembi's approval for Alzheimer's disease is a positive signal that despite the market hardships, the industry retains its power to deliver therapies to patients even in challenging indications. Specifically, Alzheimer's is a graveyard of failures and progress was stagnant at best, especially during the COVID biotech era. The market does not necessarily correlate to industry progress. And I think as long as we see continued approvals of important drugs for uh, devastating conditions, we will see progress in the industry. I think the one thing to think about there is the impact of pricing and reimbursement, which is also not fully covered, but is having an increasingly important impact on the business. M&A deal value this quarter increased dramatically. However, that was skewed materially by the CGen Pfizer transaction. Further signals of growing deal size and breadth of participation in strategic deal making have to occur before we can really declare this a catalyst of market recovery or just an end of one transaction. Unfortunately, there will continue to be layoffs and public companies that are trading below cash will continue to struggle. Down rounds will happen for later stage financings. Turnover in pharma R&D and BD teams also is a challenge when companies are undergoing restructuring and that changes priorities and ultimately slows down needed deal making. While all of this is painful and certainly negative over the short run, what this will do on the other side, this should lead to a leaner set of survivor companies that are attractive to investors and strategics and make for a healthier ecosystem.
The big driver of the industry remains interest rate policy, which is really hard to handicap, especially when you have things like SVB happen. And we can't influence it, we can't predict it, and ultimately we are still a slave to interest rates. Uh, so we have to unfortunately go through a recession, which is still pending, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and once we get closer to the other side, we'll be able to start to see the recovery in sight. As for Europe, uh, the market there and the deal-making trends are largely reflected in the U.S. trends, with some signs of further distress over there, namely high discrepancy between current and historical levels of deal activity. Signs of a suppressed market in Japan include flat performance of the biopharma market indices despite positive clinical trial readouts, strong revenue performance of Japanese large pharma, and government policy that actually is encouraging new drug discovery. So what is our advice for what to do in the current market? Without repeating things we've said in prior quarters, we have a few additional things we'd like to add in. Asian partnerships, particularly for Japan, for clinical stage assets, has to be considered more now than when equity was cheap. At Locus Walk, we have a robust business in Asia, which from the 2018 to 21 timeframe was surprisingly slow because equity was so easy to find. And with equity more challenging, uh, we're finding a significant uptick in requests for finding partnerships in Asia, specifically in Japan. So it's not just about the upfront payment on those deals. It's also about clinical trial enrollment and reducing the costs of getting to data. The counterbalance of this is that there are companies with open trials for more than a year who have not recruited a single patient. So even though Asia deals may be lower costs for those patients, uh, you still have to get the recruitment done to add value. The other thing to consider is to start processes earlier than you think and be willing to have conversations with strategics and investors without a full set of data. Be open to all possibilities around your products, your territories, and your rights because you don't know what's going to resonate with any of the various counterparties. Assume you will need to contact more partners and more investors to get a deal done. And you can survive in other ways by leveraging data and the success of companies around you. So if you're in a space and you're the only player in that area, it actually might be more challenging than if there was competition and the competition had some good data or a good deal or some success. Because ultimately people are looking for de-risked assets and one way to de-risk your asset is if someone who's ahead of you has good data. Waiting for data can be a double-edged sword. You have to maintain some amount of cash runway so you're not pigeonholed when it comes to time to getting your deal done. You don't want to have good data and no cash because that does not lead to good outcomes either. So in conclusion, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of BioTalk. Please let us know what you thought and feel free to make any suggested topics for future episodes. We look forward to productive dialogue and hope you tune in to our next podcast. Please share with all of your friends and colleagues so we can grow the audience. This is Jeff Meyerson for BioTalk signing off.